I'm Coach Seb, and this is Running New Mexico. Joining me today is Robbie Berry. Uh, she is a teacher down in Las Cruces Public Schools, uh, fifth grade, and runner. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Um, how did you get into running? Um, it's kind of funny because I've only really been running eight years, I think, now. Um, we lived back east and the winters were kind of cold. We lived in New Hampshire and it was hard. And we got into a point where um, work was really monopolizing a lot of my time. And my husband and I kind of got, you know, lazy almost, you know, we just got caught in that pattern and we weren't really moving or doing. And as we started to age, we realized that we didn't want to be unhealthy as we aged because we kind of were watching some of our friends and our parents and we kind of was like, nope, we're going to stop this right now. So he had run cross country when he was in junior high school and high school. And he was also a career military person and I hadn't. So I said, we had signed up for a 5k and we ran it and I was at my heaviest. I was about 195 pounds. So it wasn't easy. I did a walk run. And I think at that moment I had some teacher friends who were runners And I was really inspired by them. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this race next year, but I'm going to run the whole thing. And I did. I researched and I did the Couch to 5K program. We got a treadmill and um, I really worked hard. And um, and then it was kind of funny because my husband wasn't sure, you know, I was really going to like running and it was going to last. Ha ha ha. Eight years later. Um, But when our treadmill broke. I got up at 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, even though it was below zero in New Hampshire, and I would drive to the gym and I would run and then come back and get ready for work. So for I don't know, it just, it really, once I started, I just got the bug and I really love it. So from that on, I've been hooked. So it really started as kind of more of a, a health thing. You wanted to be healthier as you got older. Yes. And... How has that changed? Like you said, you you fell in love with it. So what is your perspective on it now? Is it still just partially health benefits or what what else kind of keeps you motivated to, to continue? I mean, it's definitely, I like, I enjoy being healthy. Uh, I'm going to be 51 next week. So for me to see friends my age who, um, you know, might not be as healthy and just as I watched my parents age, you know, for me... I started off that way, but I just love getting up and getting out there. I'm, I'm a morning runner. It's harder for me to run in the afternoons, um, but I like to get up before the sun comes up. I like to get out, and then I love to watch the beautiful sunrise up over the mountains, and it's kind of my me time every day. Well, I run five days a week, but it's that me time before school starts, before the craziness starts, and it's just that time to collect myself, be grateful for um what I have in my life and just enjoy the quiet beauty of nature. I think that's a great, great thing. I I love being out there and seeing, you know, the different animals and the different environments when I can get up to the, to the mountains here or down into the bus skin, just, it's just the things you can see can be so different. 
Right. And is your husband, has he continued running as well? Yes, we, um, we both do. Um, he, he's done ultra marathons. I don't know. After 26.2, I'm kind of done, <laughs> but, um, but we do when we can, and of course COVID has changed a lot of it, but we do like to travel to different places and run neat little races. I mean, we've got to travel up to like the three corners area and run on, um, native American land where you kind of get bust in and you, you know, you actually pitch a tent and sleep on the land. So, you know, we've had access to such beautiful nature. Whereas if we weren't running or doing these activities, we would never have had the chance to see these places. Right. And that's pretty amazing. How, like the, the one on native land that you talked about, how did you find out about that one? Um, we use a couple of websites, um, ultra running and um, run USA. I'm trying to think we have like the Albuquerque running club. Um, there's a bunch of sites that we just kind of, we kind of peruse every, you know, couple of weeks and see what races are out there and what's available. And can we travel, you know, with school, of course, I have to juggle around my work schedule, but, but if we can do it, we just love, and we, we're not really the, let's go do the big city races. We kind of like the ones that are trail or out in nature and kind of smaller and, and just have a different feel. That's pretty cool. And does he join you on the early morning runs or does he have a different running schedule than you? Yeah, he runs a little bit later (laughs) than me. You know, I'm up sometimes on work days. I'm out there before like by 430 and he's like, no, I'm going to wait a little while. (laughs) (laughs) I have to do it before I work because once I'm done with the day teaching, I mean, like I'm just tired. So I know if I don't get up and do it in the morning, it's not going to happen in the afternoon for me. Right. Well, and being in Las Cruces, I can imagine the afternoons getting a, a little warm, especially during the summer. Yeah, it's pretty hot. Um, even here in Albuquerque, it's, you know, some of those summer afternoons. And if you're not out before seven, it is, it is brutal. And so you've been in New Mexico for eight years, I believe now. Yes. And so what brought you down here? Um, my mom had retired out here. I grew up in New York. And then I've lived in uh, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Rhode Island with my husband in the military. We've lived up and down the eastern seaboard, but we were living in New Hampshire and my mom had retired out here and she got sick. So I don't have any siblings, so I had to figure out what to do. So I ended up applying for jobs out here and I was lucky enough to be able to, to get one. And then I moved out here, leaving my husband and our life back there just so I could help my mom with her battle with cancer. And we knew her, her diagnosis was not good. We knew it was terminal. So I came out just to help her with the fight and see what we could do. And then a year after that, my husband came out to help me because it was tough with my mom in the end. But once he even came out here and we realized how beautiful the mountains are in the desert and just everything, you know, after my mom had passed and I, and I really loved my school and our school district And we looked at each other and we're like, yeah, we don't want to go back east. We just love it out here. So we decided to stay and make New Mexico our home. And during that time when your mother was was sick, was running kind of, you talked about it being your me time. Was it kind of your time to kind of get get out and 
decompress from your time with her as well? Or was it harder to find that time while you were taking mm-hmm. care of her? No, it was easier because, because again, because I go out so early, I knew she'd still, you know, were sleeping or, or was, you know, okay at that time. So it was still time for me to kind of decompress and kind of think about the future and, you know, my worries and concerns and all that time. But I think it just helped me be more centered during that time, even though it was a difficult time for me. That makes sense. I, I think that so many of us find kind of that peace in running when with whatever else is going on within our, our day or, or year or whatever. We we can kind of, like you said, just center ourselves in, in those long runs. Right. And, you know, it's kind of funny because, like, I would run races and things when I first came out here, and I had never done that growing up. So to hear my mom, like, when she would talk to her friends, she's like, yeah, she ran, you know. So just know that my mom was even proud that I was out there doing it kind of meant a lot to me. That's that's cool. I can see that that would, seems like that helped kind of, I don't want to say bring her closer to you, but but give her something else to to be proud of you about. Yeah. And how would you, you know, you, you said you came from, you were in New Hampshire before New Mexico, and that's a, kind of where you started picking up on the running. How different was it running in New Hampshire to down in Las Cruces? Well, I remember I was here in Las Cruces. I don't even think I was here two days and they had a 4th of July run, the Las Cruces Running Club. And I did it. And I remember thinking to myself, I know I can run five miles easily. Why do I feel so tired and winded not realizing the elevation difference? (laughs) You know, I was like, wow, that really kind of took me. But back east, it's definitely more humid in the summers. (laughs) Here, I don't I don't miss the humidity and it's funny the days where I'll say oh my gosh it's so humid but then we look at the percentage and we're like really I'm like I don't think I could survive back east with the humidity anymore and the winters I mean some mornings it was just below zero and honestly it didn't those days were below zero it didn't warm up so in the winter back there you know we'd go out and we'd run but some days it was just brutal because it was so cold and we'd have icicles in our eyelashes and we have to make sure that we were really watching the the grounds for ice patches or snow patches so we didn't you know slip or fall and it was a lot more indoor treadmill running in the winter back there than it is here here i like it it's cold in the morning sometimes it's in the 20s but you know it's doable because i don't have to worry about snow or ice and on the ground. And I know in the afternoon, if I wait, it's going to be above freezing. And some of those winter afternoons are just beautiful in their fifties, you know, which I would never have back East. Right. So. <laughs> and here, you know, I, I worry about, you know, I have to look out for rattlers or, or other kind of animals in the desert, but back East, like we'd run on the trails in New Hampshire and we'd have to worry about like moose and bears and, you know, a little, it, a little different with the creatures. <laughs> yeah i would never even consider having to worry about a moose (laughs) just a little bit different that's cool that's really um unique that you've been able to you know have those different experiences and how was it kind of teaching like i know here in albuquerque there's some days when it's you know cold and they tell us like well the kids got to stay inside it's too cold i can't imagine being you know, in the Northeast where, like you're saying, like some days it's, it's zero or below. And so the kids are just 
inside in the classroom all day for multiple days because, you know, the cold snap could stay for a while. Well, it's kind of funny because back east, I guess, you know, like the kids have more of the winter clothes and things so they can dress for it. So unless it was really brutally cold, I mean, there was snow on the ground. I mean, we were outside. I mean, I remember some of my favorite memories of teaching in New Hampshire were um, when we had the snowy winters and we could sled down the hills with the kids and we had snow co- winter carnival and we did snow painting. So, you know, like things, it was different, but it, that's the environment and, you know, you just get used to it and, and you make, make it fun. That does sound like fun. I can't even imagine being able to, to sled with my classes. Like that just sounds <laughs> I just so much fun. Like I, <laughs> I can imagine them being excited to to be able to do that with their teachers. Yeah, it was neat. It was neat. And like when we had winter carnival, we you know we did um snow painting, um we did snowshoeing, sledding. So it was kind of fun to be able to just enjoy being outside with the kids, even though it was winter, and just enjoy that time. Right. Uh, and so you've been teaching for twenty six years. I think you had told me before. Yeah, this is my 26th year. And has it all been in fifth grade or have you jumped between grades here and there? I've taught fifth and sixth grade for my elementary. When I first graduated college, I actually filled in high school music back in New York. Um, My undergrad is music performance. And then I went back and got my master's in elementary ed. And I also got my music ed. So I'm certified in both. And then now I'm pursuing a second graduate degree in math teaching mathematics. Oh, wow. And so what was it like being in the high school compared to elementary? Um, Definitely different. You know, it's just a different vibe. You get your kids for 40 minute periods and then they travel about. Um, Elementary I like because even if we do departmentalize, I still have my kids a lot of the time. So I still get to, you know, build those relationships and spend more time with them. Whereas high school, you do, but it's for shorter amounts of time. Right. And you said you, you know, one of your first degrees was that that music education. And do you incorporate that in with your regular classes as well? I do. I use a lot of um, music when we're um, learning different things. We sing, we dance, and I've been trying to do it even though we're remote um, now. And um, and it's just the kids, it, you know, like then you hear them later and they're singing their song that we did in math or, or literacy. And, you know, it sticks and it's kind of neat to hear them, to hear them still bopping around later, even if they think they're too cool for it. <laughs> <laughs> I think there has been a lot, you know, that repetitive nature of rhyming and singing really helps solidify some of those facts, especially, you know, at the at the younger ages. Right. And kids, you know, they love music. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when we were talking beforehand, you know, one of the things you talked about with your kids uh, there in Las Cruces is that you've been able to do some lobbying with them you know, in in Santa Fe for a couple of different things. You're working on something this year as well. Uh, Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, there was a, I think it was a three years ago, I um, saw a thing from the um, UNM um, Law School and they they have a Wild Friends program. 
And it was kind of neat. It was kind of a way to integrate, you know, social studies and real world and kind of was like hands-on learning. So I had applied for the program. I figured the worst they could say is no, but our school was picked up. And we were one of, I believe it was 12 schools in the state. I don't remember how many total schools there were, but we got to work with the Wild Friends program with UNM. And we had two people come actually down from um, Albuquerque or Santa Fe, and they kind of did a hands-on science lesson. So it was kind of with science and social studies and and everything. And, um, and what we, the kids did was they were able to, we kind of talked about how a bill becomes a law and what's involved on the, you know, the federal level and the state level. So we did a lot of that. And then we learned about pollinators and why they're so important to the environment and, um, you know, what they need to survive. And what the kids did is they worked on, there was a House bill and a Senate bill. I don't remember the numbers now because it was two years ago, but the kids, we were able to take 25 of our fifth graders up to Santa Fe to the roundhouse. And they were able to talk and meet with legislators and they really knew about pollinators and the bill was to have a pollinator protection license plate passed and so the kids talked about the importance of pollinators and why this license plate would be a good thing for our state and how it would protect pollinators so the kids loved it they got to um you know really lobby for it and the legislators like were impressed with how much the kids knew and we did end up having two kids who their parents were willing to let them stay behind. And they actually testified during the live time when they were actually deciding about it. So it was really neat. And the kids, even though these kids, you know, are now, you know, been away from us for two years, they still talk about that experience. So I think for those kids to actually have had a say in something that's impacted our state, you know, that's real hands-on learning. And I feel like that's really powerful for our kids. A lot of times our kids think, oh, because they're kids, you know, they're, they don't have a voice or they're, they can't make a difference. But that program was amazing because it showed kids, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you believe in something and you want to work for it, you do have a voice and there's ways to get your voice heard. Right. I, that's why I, I find it so amazing that you're able to do that and the commitment you you put into that so the kids had that opportunity and and they do learn from that and see you know their part in it and you know hopefully it carries into adulthood and and seeing like I was able to do this as a kid there's no reason I can't do it as an adult as well right and I you know and we were fortunate because our school district and our school principal and our school leaders were supportive so they were willing to you know help us out with the trip because for us of course we needed we had to stay overnight there was no way we could do that trip in a day so we were really grateful to our our school and our school district for being willing to support uh, our students in in being able to participate in this right and i think you told me you're working on something for this year as well right yeah this year again we have the opportunity to work with wild friends and we just voted on the topic and the topic for this year is outdoor classrooms. So they will be working on looking at research and um, the pros and cons of outdoor classrooms and how many there are, and then talking to legislators about why they're important and why we should have them. That's really cool. I, it's, I think it's just so amazing that you're involving the kids in, in this kind of project where they can, see those real life effects of the things that they're doing 
and, and, and locally, things that can right. affect them that they can physically see happening around them. Right. And I mean, I'm grateful too for, you know, UNM and the Wild Friends program, because these are just amazing programs that, you know, teachers can apply for, for the students to be involved. So it's just, I feel like there's great opportunities for our students. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, again, I think this year has been hard for a lot of students and teachers and to try to continue to find ways to make things exciting and real world are um, can be difficult because trying to do it virtually is is hard right yeah we also this my class this year too i applied to do this last year but of course with covid and schools you know kind of stopping in march and going online we were going to do um it was like a blue i think i forget um the company but again i applied for it and um we get to work we're working with a teacher in michigan and it's Blue Apron, and it's a bacteria project, and it's called Prevent the Spread. So we're kind of working on that this year, which kind of really goes hand in hand because that's what's happening with COVID. And, um, you know, it gives the kids a chance to kind of say, hey, this is kind of affecting my life now. Let's do some research about how these things are spread and what we can do to prevent the spread. So it's kind of neat. We're going to kick that off in another week or so. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's very, I mean very topical. So that's really yes. Cool. Uh, and, you know, what challenges have you seen from your class with having to go online and, and your, for your students? I think a big challenge is making sure that all students have access to technology, you know, and internets. You know, last spring was hard. It, you know, it happened so fast. And I feel like, you know, you know, not all kids have the same equity when it comes to technology or internet. So this year, our district really was making sure that if the students needed um, technology, they could, um, our school, we got, the kids either got an iPad or a Chromebook. So we made sure that every kid has access to some sort of technology to be able to participate. And then of course, internet codes or hotspots if they need. So I think that's the big one. You know, I've, and I know it's across the state because I know kids, some, you know, some districts, they live in rural places and, you know, it's not very easy for those kids to access. And that's my, the biggest part of this. I think, you know, I want kids to all have that equity to access for education and it depends on your district and what's available to you. And, and it's hard, you know, we try to make it work as best as we can, but it's still difficult. Absolutely. You know, APS did the same thing and uh, distributed Chromebooks, um, iPads to younger students. And that way every student had access and in the city uh, Albuquerque has put together hotspots, but at the same time, it is still difficult because, you know, some students can't get to those hotspots and, you know, they've got this device that they can't, you know, really access without that Wi-Fi. But I think, you know, as, as far as the state has done there, you know, it, I think the push and, and the attempt is, has been major and, and helpful for everyone, you know, as best as we can do. So what do you see as some of the challenges for, for yourself? Because I think it's easy to look at what the kids are going through. But, you know, as a teacher, what have you struggled with in, in doing everything virtually? 
I think really making sure that, you know, I, it's kind of that growth mindset that we, you know, ask the kids to embrace. So I feel like this is a perfect example and opportunity for me to embrace that growth mindset. You know, I felt like I was tech savvy, but now this is pushing me to a whole new level. I wanted to make sure when, as soon as I knew we were going to be completely online, I was thinking about, you know, what are my true capabilities? What do I have available to give my students the best I can? And I took some courses and I currently am also a grad student and I'm also online as a grad student. So I kind of watched my professors when I took my three courses this summer. I kind of watched what they did, how they engaged us. And then the head of my program, he had some PD he gave over the summer about how to engage students in online learning. So I kind of took those and said, okay, I want to step up my game because I want my kids to want to come to class and I want it to be engaging. How can I do that? So I think stepping out of my comfort zone, learning like our, our district adopted Canvas for this year. So I had to learn a new platform and you know I wanted to learn it well enough that when the kids had questions or instructions, I needed to be able to answer those for parents or for my students. So I really had to get comfortable with that. And then seeing what other apps or um, things are out there that I can really use to engage my students, whether it's Flipgrid, Nearpod, um, you know, I got a second monitor. So even when I'm sharing my screen or doing things with the kids, I can still see them. So just all these different ways of learning and how I can be better, um, what can I do to improve? And it's kind of funny because that's kind of what I do with running. Like, how did my week's training go this week? You know, what do I need to do better? Okay, what's my plan? So I kind of take that and I apply it to my teaching. Like, what went well this week? What didn't? What can I do better? Where can I improve? And I asked my students last week as well. I said, how do you think it's going so far? You know, is there anything you think I can do better? And I tell the kids, be honest, you know, I'm not going to get upset with you. You're helping me be better for them. So they were really great. And they were like, they, you know, they said that they appreciated that I was trying different things. And they've been really patient when I try new things. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So trying to even show them it's a learning experience, you know, and nothing's going to be perfect on the first try, but we don't quit. We like learn from it and then we make it better next time. Uh, yeah, I think that's, it's not just teachers, but a lot of people can get caught up in, oh, I'm not going to try this because it might not work. But right. to hear you doing, well, we're going to try it. And if it doesn't work, then we'll troubleshoot. And if it, if that still doesn't work, then maybe we'll move on. But to, um, to try these things in, in this time to, to engage the kids is, you know, it's, it's no small task. Right. And then kind of models that perseverance. You know, it's not always going to be easy. It's sometimes life is a struggle, but what are we going to do and how are we going to approach it? Uh, absolutely. And so, you know, what are some of the strategies you're using to try to keep the kids engaged when, you know, you don't have that classroom kind of persona? I mean, in, in the classroom, things are just so different because, you, you know, you can use proximity to the kids, you can use you know, um, gestures and things. And, and so online, how are you using to keep them engaged? Um, we are the Berry Bunch. So the kids know that that's who we are. Um, so if you go to our, you know, our homepage, it says home of the Berry Bunch. So right there, giving them that sense of belonging, like we, you know, it's not Mrs. Berry's class, it's the Berry Bunch, and we're all members of it. 
And those first 20 days or a few weeks of school, really spending time, you know, talking to the kids about how they're feeling, what, how do they feel pre-COVID, you know, post-COVID and kind of what, what they like and just getting to know them and then asking them, what do we want to have in place for all of us to be able to do and be our best learning? So we've spent a lot of time in the beginning talking about what it should look like, what it should sound like, because we want everybody, every member of the Berry Bunch to be successful this year. Um, So I think spending that time really getting to know each other and kind of talking about expectations for all of us and what we'd like in place and then talking about it and then um, kind of creating our respect agreements, whether it's, you know, student to student or um, student to teacher or teacher to student or us to our environment or our online community and just spending time really talking about that. And then what do they, what do they see this year to look like? You know, I know they all want to go back to school and, you know, so do I, and so does every other teacher and student, you know, in the state and the country. Um, but right now this is our reality. So what can we do? So I think just being real with them, they really appreciate that. And, um, and they know they can reach out if they struggle, you know, if they need help, they know they can um, call and I'll be there and, and, and guide them. So again, I think just letting them know that we're going to make mistakes. That's how we learn. We struggle, but it's what we do with those mistakes. And when we struggle, you know, to help us be successful. And I tell the kids, they're going to see me struggle this year. There, there'll be days where they're, they're going to have to pick me up. Like I'll have to pick them up. And I think it's just knowing that we're a family outside of our our own families and that, you know, we're not going to, there may be days where we're not going to love each other every day, but we're going to be respectful and we're going to support each other and we're going to do our best to make it a great day for everyone. And I think they really like belonging to that. I I can imagine. I want to be in your class just. <laughs> and it's, you know, fifth, fifth, fifth grade especially is just so they're on that cusp of, of getting into the middle school and, they, they want to be treated like adults and, and mm-hmm. you know, to be able to just kind of be real with them and talking to them, I, I, I can only imagine that they're taking a lot from that. Right. And I think, too, when I taught, you know, a lot of my beginning of my career was in New York and I had tough kids and I taught in a tough district. So those kids, you know, that's what they understood, the real, you know, the realness. So I think that's kind of a lot of that has made me the educator I am today and just building those relationships and, you know, relationships are so important. If you don't have those relationships with those kids, they're not, you know, they're going to want to do things for you if you have a relationship or they're going to want to try even when it's hard. So those relationships that you need to form are just so important, especially at the beginning of school. Absolutely. And, and, you know, talking about those relationships and, and talking about, you know, how you, model that per- perseverance especially now when things don't go right you know do you bring in your running into the classroom and talk to the kids about you know being fit and and staying in shape and and those things i do when we are in the actual classroom i actually have pictures of me either running trails or running races and i have them up i have like a motivational wall when i have my classroom of just like goals and things for myself just to kind of show them that like you know i may be an adult but i'm still learning and like still setting goals for myself so i try to instill that in them because we do that in the classroom but we've been doing that this year as well i just don't you know like they won't see the the pictures up on the wall but i do refer to that when i'm teaching and when i introduced myself in the beginning of the year and i kind of went through a lot of that i talked about um you know that 
You're able to achieve anything you want. Don't listen to anyone. No one can tell you you can't. If you want it bad enough and you work hard enough at it, you're going to be able to do it. So I really try to show the kids that, you know, there's going to be days where, you know, I tell the kids, I go out and I had a horrible run and I'm like, oh, why am I doing this? But then there's days I go out and I'm like, wow, that was amazing. So, you know, you're going to have the good and bad days, but it's like strike that balance. Like, you know, what do I want? Where do I want to go? Where do I see myself? And I tell the kids, I know it's hard because they're 10 or 11, but small steps like, you know, in life, like for school, what are your goals academically? Then I ask the kids to set um, goals for themselves outside of school, like whether it's socially or if they participate in a sport or something, you know, or even a family goal. Like what are some goals outside, not just academic, but that they have for themselves? And I think that's important because a lot of times it's it's okay, we're setting goals, it's academic, but it's not just academic. It's social, it's family. It's like, you know, it's it's their life. Yeah, I, I think, you know, like you said, I think it's just important that they realize that everything can be connected to. And just because one area may not be going the way that they want it to, they've got three or four areas that they are making progress in and can help them, you know, not be one dimensional. Right. And so I think, I think you're doing an awesome job. I, I always, I always start off with goal setting myself and, and it gets lost in the, the hundred other things <laughs> that we're responsible for through the year. (laughs) Right. And then, you know, and then having the kids think back and reflect, like, how are you doing so far? You know, are you working towards it or do you kind of need to revamp your plan? You know, what's, what do you need to do to get, to get to your goal and achieve it? That's great. And so kind of on that note, what, what are your goals right now? Kind of with no races really. And I mean, there's some popping up here and there, but, the majority of the races are still getting canceled or postponed or pushed back. Yeah, this has been a tough year. I mean, we were training for the Batan Memorial Death March and we were going to do the full 26.2. And, um, and we had run, we decided to run the El Paso half marathon last February. And we were so excited. We decided to do it because one, it was a great race with great fans and it was just an awesome experience. But then that's the last live race of 2020 that we've done. Um, Everything that we were registered for, unfortunately, has been canceled because of COVID and, you know, wanting to keep people safe. So in December, I decided Run the Edge does a um, run, you know, you can run 2020 miles in 2020. And I had done it in 2018. So I don't even know. I just was like, you know what? I didn't do it last year, but I was like, I'm going to do this this year. And I'm kind of glad I made that decision because with no races and now knowing that, you know, I've got 2020 miles to do so that's kind of kept me um even though i'm not training for races it still kept me you know like i have a goal for 2020 to run 2020 miles in in 2020 so that's kind of been a good staple and then we do we are supposed to run the el paso marathon in february and we're hoping that will still go on so i mean even though we're not running anything now we're hopeful that events will and we're going to train for them whether they happen or not so you know trying to still stay in that mindset of this will pass eventually and i don't want to start over when it does pass so i want to really keep my running base so when races do happen you know i don't have to start from scratch to train again you know it must seem kind of weird like i'm excited for races but I find myself sometimes getting a little like, I think back to a race and the starting line and everybody crowded in. I'm like, 
oh, I, I can't even imagine that anymore. <laughs> I know. Yeah, not now. Now I'd be a little nervous. Even with masks, I think I'd still be nervous. <laughs> and so what What was that El Paso half marathon like? Like you said, it was just an amazing event. It was just neat. It, there was a, it, the crowd, it was a great crowd of runners. Um, everybody was really supportive. And it was out and back. And it, it, and it was a um, challenging course, which we really liked. Like when you get to the halfway point, there was a lot of uphill and you're like, where is that turnaround point? But just pushing yourself, knowing you're almost there and then you're going to be halfway through. And then there was just so many great people along the the route too with, you know, music and just, you got this. And it was just, it was one of the best races, I think, with the crowd and then the running field. We just felt overall, it was just so supportive and just so much fun. And of course, it was great to run into Southwest stadium where the chihuahuas play at the end because when we um when we ran a thanksgiving trot every year in new hampshire um we it was the same kind of thing where we finished at the fisher cat stadium which was a minor league baseball team so it kind of had that reminds us of you know fond memories from new hampshire as well that's really cool i anytime a race kind of ends like that in in kind of these stadiums are always um just really kind of cool because it just makes us different you know like we don't get yeah. that very often <laughs> <laughs> and you get to run and you got to run in and you ran around the entire um perimeter of the field to the finish line so it was really neat that sounds like a lot of fun and i think when we were talking before it was one of those turkey trots you were telling me just ended up being like really cold one year yeah, it wasn't, I don't even remember, it was below 32, because I remember being very cold and thinking I was glad it was only 3.1 miles. <laughs> but yeah, you know, so and that's the difference back east, it gets cold, you know, by October, it's cold. And it'll warm up a little bit, but the mornings are a lot chillier there than they are here. Right, and I, so I got to imagine some, some late uh, races get pushed later in time sometimes as it gets colder out there. Some do, some don't. Some, they just say, you know, bundle up and you'll get warm as soon as you start running. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So you really, you really got to pick your uh, races carefully as soon as it starts. Yeah. There was one half marathon we had done. It was in Hampton, New Hampshire, on the, along the ocean, Hampton beach. And, um, it was great. It was, it was in the fall. It was October. It was chilly. But then it started to rain. So now not only is it cold, but you're soaking wet. And I remember just finishing that race. And I was like, so happy they had space blankets to keep warm because it was just miserable. But proud of myself for gutting it out and getting it done. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. I've I've run in some cold weather before and it just always makes it, you know, at least everybody else is going through the same thing. But it always makes it just a little interesting, a little more challenging. Yeah, we just, we did last December, we were up in Albuquerque and we did the, is it the Run Run Rudolph? Oh, yeah. Half marathon. And that day we woke up and it was raining and miserable and we're like, oh, but, but it was great. And the rain only lasted in the, for a little bit in the beginning, but it was an awesome race and that was a lot of fun too. Yeah, I haven't done that one. I had signed up for the, one of the turkey trots uh, here in town last year and it got canceled because we had snow and ice that morning and they were just worried about not only just driving down there but i think the course and 
Um, so that was a little disappointing. That was the first time I've actually had a race canceled because of, of snow and ice, which was interesting. Wow. But, you know, going back to your time now, you're getting up early. You're trying to run, you know, 2020 miles this year. What's your mileage usually for the week? I run between 40 and 50 miles right now each week. Wow. And that's off of about five days running. Yeah, that's five days running. I usually run Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, and Mondays and Fridays are my off days just to give my body some time to relax. And and I don't want to get injured as I age. So, you know, and I try to do um, strength training two to three times a week as well, just for injury prevention to stay strong. That's, I think that's so important. And that's something that, you know, as we get older, you know, it's good at any age, but as we get older, definitely to keep ourselves from, you know, muscles, tendons, everything just ready to go. And it can be hard to, to find, to make that time for it, but it's so important. I mean, I've been injured and come back from it. So for me, I know how important it is because when I'm sidelined, I'm grumpy because I'm not running. I miss that, you know, that quality time just for me and outside. And, and sometimes like on the coldest mornings, I have the best runs. I just feel so invigorated when I come in. So I think it's just, you know, trying to find that balance. I mean, are there, like I tell the kids, are there days I want to get up and I don't want to run? Yes. But I always tell myself, go out, at least run one to two or three miles. If you still feel the way you can stop. And then it was funny. I just talked to a friend about that the other day. And she's like, well, how many times have you stopped? And I'm like, none. She's like, I'm not surprised. And I said, no, because once I get going, I just get lost in the run. Yeah, I I agree. I think there's most runners feel that way. If it's there and you, you know, I've heard strategies of of putting out your clothes the night before. So then you see them and, but anytime I get up and just get going, it's never, it's never, you know, a mile in, I'm like, well, I can go another mile. I can go right. another mile. <laughs> yep. It's kind of like when you're training for the marathon and like you get towards the end and you're like, oh, your body's like, we want to stop. And your head's like, no, we can do this. We can go another mile. And you kind of play the the mind games to get each mile done. <laughs> right. And, you know, you said your husband's done some ultra marathons. Do you do like crew for him where you're waiting for him at aid stations with you know, what he needs? Um, not always. Cause a lot of times he'll choose ones that are where he travels. And of course it's during the school year, but, um, he's done some here and I, I, um, I've waited at the finish line and I've, you know, cheered him on at the end and everything. And he's done, they used to have one here where they'd start at a park and they'd run up to Cloudcroft. So it was a lot of elevation and it was like, a 50k I think but you know he really enjoyed it he he's in one too he just like not that we don't we don't enjoy running the city streets as much as we love being out and running in nature it's just it's just such a different feel it's like you know when we're running lots of miles and we're out in the desert or out in the mount Oregon mountains we don't even think about the miles we're just lost in in the scenery and our surroundings and then we're like wow how far did we go you know it's we're not even thinking about the mileage or the time. Yeah. Just getting lost in nature. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about that, so you're, you're going out and you're just enjoying the nature and being on the trails and with your background in music, do you ever run with music or do you just enjoy hearing 
the sounds of nature around you. Yeah, I don't run with music at all. And I think some of my friends who ask me, they're like, oh my gosh, sometimes you're out there for like, you know, two, three, four hours. How do you do it? I just, I really love the quiet. I love hearing, you know, the sounds of nature. And I love just getting lost in my own head. Like, and I think too, a lot of it, when we did run back east, I didn't run with music because, you know, if we're running near the, in the woods and the back roads, like I had to listen, you know, I had to make sure there was bears moose and then sometimes just from growing up in New York too you know having my surroundings and making sure no one's around or it's just that city sense so I kind of like just being able to hear what's happening around me and again going back to growing up in New York and, and being on the east coast you were in Massachusetts and again New Hampshire and you know New York City is obviously a major city there's buildings everywhere I imagine trees everywhere in New Hampshire. I'm not really sure because I've never actually been there, but that's always what comes to my head. So, you know, what's it like, you know, being in New Mexico with just so wide open, you know? It's funny when I first drove out here, because I was coming from, you know, where it was so green and lush. And I remember just arriving here and I was crying. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so brown, you know, and like being homesick. But the longer I'm here, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. We went back east to New York a couple of years ago and we were like, where are Oregon mountains? Like we missed, you know, being able to see for miles and miles and just the beauty. We couldn't wait to get back home to the land of enchantment. We were like, nope, we're not East coasters anymore. We are here for the long haul. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting just to, to hear that dynamic of how different it is and how quickly you can fall in love with a place. And so, um, and of course, we're spoiled with real Mexican food now as well. Right? You can. <laughs> it's not the same back east. <laughs> Have you gotten used to the spice as well? Yeah, we're funny now. You know, we love, the, like, I don't like spicy, spicy, but I like the flavor. And that's the difference. We, you know, it's not just spice, it's flavor here. And, you know, and getting green chili or red chili. So it's just, it's amazing. Like, I remember my first class here when I, um, I was here and they asked, I think pozole was for lunch. And I was like, what is that? And the kids could not believe I had no idea what pozole was. <laughs> I was like, they don't, you know, we didn't have that back East, you know? So it was just kind of neat, those kinds of things to learn from each other. So the kids were excited. <laughs> I can imagine. And I just can't even, I know there's so many good smells. I've been to New York. I think I went there. There was like a Greek festival going mm-hmm. on. It was just amazing, but there is nothing I was I was finished I was halfway through a run yesterday and coming down and there was a half mile in the middle that I could just smell the chili roasting and mm. oh man it made me so hungry <laughs> I know you can't like I can't even explain that to my friends back east like that's just something you have to experience that's yeah it it is it's just it's and every place is so unique. And that's just one of those things, you know, about New Mexico and, and this fall time is that chili roasting, that smell in the air. And, you know, then, then, you know, it's fall. Right. You know, this is, this has been a really fun conversation. I think that's a, a good spot to end it. Uh, you know, my last question for you is what are you listening to that kind of gets you 
motivated, gets you moving, um, gets you going? Um, I don't really listen to a lot like before or anything to get motivated, but I remember um, when I talk goals with my kids, um, I do think about the song Lose Yourself by Eminem because I always think about that first the first words in the lyric. And I asked the kids, if you had one shot or one opportunity to see, to seize everything you wanted in one moment, would you capture it or would you just let it slip by? And I think those words are really powerful, you know, just to get the kids thinking, you know, you have these opportunities and, you know, right now you have all these doors open for you and each choice you make is either going to open more doors or shut doors. So, you know, how many doors do you want open for your future? So, that's kind of way I think too, like, you know, in the choices I make, am I, am I seizing opportunities or am I letting them slip by? So what do I want for my future? And that's what I try to help get my students to see, you know, what do you want for your future right now? You have doors wide open for you. You know, do you want to keep that? You know, what do you have to do to seize those opportunities? That is, I think, such a hard message for them to hear at this age, but the more they hear it, you know, hopefully it'll sink in. And, and so I think you're doing an amazing job with that. Great. And I, you know, and I share stories, I tell them, you know, I, um, did, did I make mistakes growing up? Yes. You know, but because I had some really amazing teachers in my life who kind of kicked my butt when I needed it and pointed me in the right direction and never gave up on me. And I was like, if you, you know, find those adults in your life and those are the ones that are going to get you going where you need to go so you can reach your full potential. Right. And in 26 years of teaching, I'm sure you've had that opportunity to, to give the same message to, to many, many kids. Yes. And it's kind of neat to see like, you know, the ones who are adults and things now who are friends with me on Facebook or on social media, just to see, you know, what they're doing and, and where they are. And, and it's kind of neat when I have like, I'll get a message, you know, and asking if I'm the Miss Barry, you know, and stuff. And I'm like, yes. And then, you know, and that they're reaching out, even though they're adults, which makes me happy. You know, I was like, okay, I did have an impact on them. I think that's one of the greatest things about being a teacher is you can truly see that impact, especially now in, in this digital age where kids can find you and, and check on you because you made that impact. You know, they choose to look look for you, which is... Right. I, I have a student who I just saw her on Facebook, oh gosh, in the summer, and she was super excited because I had follow, I'm following her and, you know, she I saw her, that she became a teacher and she's in Virginia, but she's an assistant principal this year. And she's like, you know, thanking me for, I was the reason why she went into teaching and it was just kind of neat. And I, you know, just to follow them as they go through their careers and what they're doing. Yeah. It's something wholly unique to teaching. And it's, uh, I think it's part of why so many teachers do last as long as they do because they know the change that they're making um, even though the job can be extremely difficult at times. Right. You know, but so can life. That's what I, you know, you say to the kids, find your passion in life, because when you're passionate about something, you're going to want to do it even when it's hard. So, you know, I tell the kids, take some time and your passions will change depending on, you know, where you are in your life, how old you are. I said, but always follow those passions, you know, never lose that. Right. That's, you know, I think something that is amazing in teaching and being able to share with kids. And I know 
with my own running, that's something that I often have to look at and, you know, it's, I still enjoy the running, but what's keeping me going, what's keeping me passionate about it. And it, you know, relates directly to, you know, what I'm, what I'm doing in life as well. So I think that's a great message. Yeah. You know, like I just tweeted this the other day, but you know, when I think of it, all the things I've learned, even in the short time I've been running, it so applies to life so much. Like, you know, I've been injured. I've had races that were horrible or my training was just horrible, but I still love running. So what am I going to do to, you know, with to, to fix those things that I've encountered? Well, I'm just going to change maybe my plan to train. Maybe I need to tweak my training plan. Or if I'm injured, what do I need to come back, but come back stronger, but I'm not going to quit. And I think that's just such a message for life. Like life's going to always throw hard things at you. You know, what are you going to do? Are you going to, you know, work harder and, and just change your plan of action and persevere or quit? So I think that's just such an important message. I completely agree. And I think you know, it's the good teachers that can get that message across to, to their kids and, and, you know, share that perseverance with them and be able to get them to think, you know, not necessarily ahead because we can, we, nobody can predict the future, but think to a point where they know that they can overcome whatever comes at them. Right. Right. And so, you know, again, this was this was a lot of fun. It was great talking running. It was great talking teaching with you. Is there anything else you'd like to add before I let you go? I think just enjoying being with your students. You know, we have um, every year when we are in school, we have a jogathon, our PTO to raise money. So I think that's the that's one day a year I really look forward to because I can sh- I can kind of share my passion for running with my kids because I run with them. I think that's amazing. I do the same thing with my students and they get such a kick out of it. It's just such a... It's a big deal for them. Absolutely. And it combines the two passions and the kids get to see it and they see that joy. And so I can only imagine your kids getting to wanting to run by your side or or even try to race you. Yeah. And they're funny. They try to race and I'm like, guys, it's not about fast. It's about endurance. (laughs) Thank you for taking the time to join me today. If you can, please rate and review, but most importantly, spread the word so we can grow this community. If you know of any runners that deserve a shout out or should be interviewed, or you just want to share your runs and connect with other people, use the hashtag RunningNM on Twitter and Instagram. You can also follow me at RunningNM on both these platforms. If you prefer to reach out by email, you can find me at runningnewmexico at gmail.com. Music was provided by Philip Friedman. You can follow him on SoundCloud under DJ Teach. And until next time, keep running, New Mexico.